Ladies and gentlemen, the Retro Network proudly presents to you the Trios Tag Team Champions of the World, the Masked Library Kevin Hellions, Sweet Maddie Treats, and the Educator of Excellence, collectively known as the House Show. Welcome everyone to another edition of the House Show. It is your host with the most, Mr. Maddie Treats. I'm quarantined still. We are still watching In Your Houses. I think we're up to In Your House 5. Yeah, we are up to In Your House 5. I can count. Thank you, guys. I appreciate that. The educator's been teaching me math all, the, all this time. So, uh, But you know what? It's Christmas time, and it's time for some season's beatings. Very excited about this. Um, season's beatings, In Your House 5. Mr. Educator, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. Uh, week five of uh, this uh, quarantine, social distancing, wondering if we're ever going to hit the reset button and get back to normal society. But until then, to bide our time, appreciate the opportunity from the Retro Network to host our podcast and uh, love going back and wearing those nostalgia goggles and watching these shows from some 25 or so years ago and, and reminiscing uh, uh, on the times that we had. You know, your nostalgia goggles look very similar to what Scotty Too Hotty wears. Yes, they do. Did, did he have them? Did you get them from him? Uh, I, probably the sunglasses hut at the mall. Oh, had a knockoff pair. <laughs> got him from sunglasses. On. Good, good, Mister Library. How are you today? I heard you have a new new life form at your house. Your oh my dear God, we do, we do. What is? What did you? We what do. Did my, you have? my my wife's birthday present uh, was a new kitten. Oh, very good. It's, what kind of, what a kind of great, cat? I don't know. It's a cat. It's a cat. Cat. <laughs> wow. But I, I honestly, I don't know. It's a great cat. Uh, it got called Wither um, after something in Minecraft. But uh, it was real, real close to being called Orange Cassidy. Orange Cassidy? No, just Orange Cassidy because it's gray, not orange. And for some reason, me and my six-year-old thought that was the funniest thing in the world and almost had my wife sold on it. But and then it was her cat's her her pick for the name. She went with Wither. Was was there any wrestling themed names brought up in the discussion? Oh, tons of them. I mean, Orange Cassidy for one, obviously. You know, um, uh, my kid wanted to call him Little Show for a moment, and uh, the other cat we have would have been uh, Big Show, but it's not called Big Show, so it wouldn't really make a ton of sense. Yeah. Now you did. Did you? Did you and your son watch the Big Show show? I watched all of it. He watched a little bit of it. Was and it any said, good? I mean, we could do this no. on a later podcast, but it was, was it was it we decent? Can, no, no, I got, I got, by the time this airs, I got a full review up. Um, oh, okay. So it's just, you know, uh, you well, know, can, more in-depth we, thoughts on it. No, no, no. Um, we could do it here, too. Uh, no, it's okay. Like, I mean, I'm just, I'm just saying, like. I'm just curious because no, I watched I watched the main event on Netflix. <laughs> oh, I haven't watched that yet. So yeah, oh, right. maybe we should just do. Why don't we separate it? Why don't we tease it? Why don't we do a separate podcast where we review WWE uh, videos? If only there was like a podcast we could do where we watch like you know wrestling movies or something. Hmm. Coming I soon. Know, I don't know. 
Plant, just, to, just to put that planting yeah. seeds, are we? Mm. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, so one thing I wanted to discuss to you guys is I uh, I'm very excited. Today was a very awesome day for me because I had ADP. <laughs> Have you ever had ADP? Cricket. Watch. Watch <laughs> one or two. Do you you watched one or two? What are you talking about? You've never I don't know had what you're talking day, about. You've, you've you've never had all day pizza. All day pizza. Oh, yeah, all day pizza. You order a large pizza, all like day. eleven or twelve, and you just eat it all day. All day. You've never had ATP. No, no. I've I've had a day under sub. Oh, oh yeah. Enjoy those. Kind of the, 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 the only thing with the sub is the mayonnaise. You don't like. No, like I like mayonnaise on my sub, but I'm saying if you're doing it all day, like my pizza's just been sitting out all day. True, true. I, I, if if the sub doesn't, if the sub lasts more than one sitting, I'll put it in the fridge because of the mayonnaise issue. But you're right, a pizza you could leave the pizza box out and revisit it. That is true. Yeah, I think I'm gonna revisit it after this podcast to finish it off. I also I also think that a great idea for a food truck would be a cold pizza food truck. You just make everything the night before, put it in the fridge, and then put it into uh some sort of uh mobile fridges on the food truck and you don't actually make anything, you're just pulling it out of the fridge. What do you want? Cold pepperoni, here you go. So you don't have to actually make anything on the food truck. You're just pulling stuff out of the fridges on there and handing it to people. I always thought that you your um your lovely one works at tops and tops is known for having some of the best breakfast pizza ever they do that's a that's a local grocery store in our area for for international listeners yeah for i'm sorry about that guys I, i'm sorry but anyways i always thought that breakfast pizza should have a waffle crust oh it's like a missed opportunity I never thought of it, but I'm with you. I can see it. Yeah. Like maybe, or just, or, or like do like the, like a waffle crust. I mean, the whole pizza doesn't have to be waffle, but I could see it. I just don't know the integrity of the waffle. So. Um, we'll, we got to get some scientists on this. This has become the, the big as a house show. Yeah. Well, you know what? Uh, do we have Yokozuna on this card? We do not. <laughs> so let's see we do have a Mabel, though. So. Oh, well, that works. Mabel is on the show, so shout out Mabel. Not that he's listening. But... Jeez. Right, let's get started. Wow. Let's, let's, let's get started. Neither will talking... go. We are talking In Your House, Seasons Beatings, live from Hershey Park uh, Arena in Hershey, Pennsylvania, December 17th, 1995. Can I just say, I love the opening of the graphics. Great promo video. It's like a Christmas vacation, but for the In Your House logo. Great, great opening to the show. Great hype video, music package, getting us, uh, everyone get ready for the Bret Hart Bulldog rematch from SummerSlam. Uh, it really does well in, in getting people invested in what was going to be in the show later in the night. Yeah, let's get right into it because, uh, you know, match one, we have the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, walking out the Sid and the Kid. Uh, and they're taking on Razor and Marty Jannetty. Um, what, what did you guys think of this? Uh, interesting dynamic in terms of, I mean, they're obviously throwing a bunch of singles guys together to settle feuds, I guess. 
the fact that Marty Jannetty and, and Razor Ramon, they came out with matching leather jackets, kind of, I don't know, were they thinking that they were going to be more of a solidified team after this or are certainly on the same page? I also found it interesting that the one, two, three kid, uh, Waltman, for whatever reason, you know, some wrestlers, it's a lot more obvious than others, but he just, he had the same exact gear on the same purple colored gear that he had at the In Your House 4, which was the October pay-per-view. They did clips to show him in the Survivor Series match at, uh, the following month, and then he is still wearing this purple gear. Um, so I, I don't know, maybe it's, maybe it's just be me being nitpicky, but, you know, change the look up a little bit more often, make yourself a little bit more flashier to stand out. You see the same thing over and over and over again. Um, you know, can kind of get a little bit boring. A lot of notes for this match. But first I would like to know, do you guys think Kimmy said yes? I, I think so. I don't know. Awesome. Uh, is he the sign? Kimmy, will you go study with me? Now that you mentioned it, you know what? And I think Goldust was holding it because Goldust was sitting not really ringside, but he was outside. He, he, yeah. he had his own golden seat uh, with an usher. Now, all right. Um, I have Wits with the Jackets, as Educator already mentioned. That was very odd. Uh, Goldust in the crowd with Usher, which comes in uh, throughout well, for, you know, I'll say half the night, they come back to Gold Dust for stuff. Um, I'm curious how bad the seats by the hog pen were, because we see it from an overhead shot of the arena. Um, I'm hoping they were at least, like, reduced price to be around there. You know, obstructed view or something. Uh, very interesting building, the way it's set up, the way that the... the uh, upper levels rise up the way that the hard camera is like everything about this building is very odd, but interesting kid. Great. Great as a heel. One, two, three kid plays a great heel. Cause you want to see him get beat up and that whole crowd wants to see him get beat up, but he's good. So it takes a while. Sid is garbage in this match. Absolutely he lost is garbage he hits razor with a punch and we all know how wrestling works and we all you know you, you go to a magic show because you want to be fooled you go to wrestling because you want to believe you know but we're all in on the joke he hits razor with a punch that should have looked devastating and razor doesn't even realize he got hit so he has to do it again and it doesn't look any better well, can I just interject? I just want to interject real quick. So we have the one, two, three kid. We have Sid and the kid. We have Razor and Janetti. Now, going through it, I totally forgot who wins. Out of those four, who's taking the pin? Yeah. Yeah, because I have it written down, if you don't Sid, Sid takes the pin, and he's Sid been a monster. The on the last on the last podcast, you even said he, he was looking focused. Or he was looking right better. I don't know what happened. He's, he's absolute garbage in this match. The only thing I can think is it reminds me of what they did to Big Show. When they realized that no one trained Paul White in WCW, they just said go out there and chokeslam people and that's it. And he gets to WWE and he doesn't know how to work a match. And he doesn't know how to call a match. And he doesn't know moves. And he doesn't know how to eat and diet and be on the road. And they send him to OVW because they're like, you're fat and you're not respectful of business. Get You know, shape up. And this is looking like what they're doing to Sid. It's like, you're going from world title to teaming with kid because he is going to show you how to work. 
the quote tiniest guy on the roster, which he probably wasn't, but that's how, you know, he was marketed and booked, is going to show the New York seven footer how to work a match. Right. And it shouldn't have happened, but it did. I think the most interesting part of the match is we get a picture in picture here of the matches going on, but Goldus is interviewed and he just debuted on The Last in Your House, but boy, the gay overtone innuendo is already there. Already, oh, very much so. I, I thought that they waited a while for it, and it's it's in the wrestling t- tradition. Gorgeous George, Adrian Adonis, you know, you always have your your blonde, effeminate, you know, um, su- subtle, not that this is subtle for cold dust, but, you know, that kind of character, and he just goes, oh, but we're doing the 1995 version of that? Yeah, I'm going to run with it and push it as much as I can from the start. <laughs> Goldus is the best thing in this match. <laughs> He's not even in that. I, I will say that, yeah, with uh, an interesting dynamic is that a lot of people forgot that Janetti and the 123 Kid were actually tag team champions. They had defeated the Quebecers and ended up losing the belts back to the Quebecers a few years back. Whenever I noticed that when 123 Kid and Janetti were in the ring, they had a great dynamic. Um, uh, get with one another. In, uh, in particular, Janetti ended up doing like a front flip version of a blockbuster that turned into almost like a bulldog jumping off the second rope onto, uh, the 123 kid. And it looked very, very impressive when he hit that particular, uh, maneuver. Um, going back to the mass library, um, regarding Sid. I don't know if Sid was trying to do some chain wrestling or, or try to take advantage of the fact that it was a tag match, but the, he was—I don't—he was like forcing tags in and out with one, two, three, kid. And there was at one point where like Sid gets tagged in, he does like one or two maneuvers after Waltman had done a pretty heavy set of moves with Janetti, and like Sid does like one or two moves and then immediately goes to tag out. And Waltman just looks at him and just shakes his head almost like in disgust, like, dude, I need a breather. Why are you tagging me back in? Um, mm. So there there was even, you could tell, visible frustrations from the kid at just how out of it it seemed that Sid Vicious appeared during this match. I mean, the worst wrestler out of the four in this match is also the only one that became a world champion. And because he's 6'10", you know. And you can't teach that. World champion in multiple promotions, too. I mean, WWF later and in WCW. I mean, within a year, he was world champion in WWF. Yeah. This would actually be one of... I don't uh, see it here at all. Yeah. This would be one of uh, Sid's last appearances, one of the few last appearances... Um, he ended up, uh, did a tag match, or the Raw Bowl match the next night on Raw, and then he ended up getting, like, some sort of an injury. I believe it was a neck injury, and he was out for about six, seven months, and we didn't even see Sid come back until about July the following year. He was, ended up being a, a last-minute replacement when stuff with the Ultimate Warrior went down and uh, ended up filling in that six-man tag in a July in-your-house pay-per-view that we'll eventually get to. Yeah, and of course, you know, um, just kind of talking about the future of here, uh, of course, Goldust sitting ringside, he would get the, you know, IC belt at the uh, the Rumble the next month. So 
setting against Razor. So, and it's kind of um, I, I kind I find it funny too. Janetti's once again in a in a just kind of a random spot. They weren't sure. It doesn't seem like they knew what to do with them. So yeah, just kind of throwing them every, just trying to throw them against the wall, see, see seeing stick. what would stick. Um, interesting finish to the match. Unexpected finish to the match with Razor hitting a, a bulldog off the second rope onto Sid, and you wouldn't have expected that to be the pinfall finish. But when the th- the three went down, the crowd erupted like crazy uh, for that being you know the finish of the match. So Sid has been pinned by a boot. Uh, a bulldog, a second row <laughs> bulldog, uh, you know, just kind of a, a few few moves that you wouldn't expect him to lose right. to. Just kind of random. So why don't we move on to our next little uh, little uh, segment here? Oh. So, all right, <laughs> Jerry the King Glower brings out Double J. He's Jeff back. Garrett. It's J E double F J A double R E double T. Well, actually, even before that, I there must have been some miscommunication or whatnot because you've got the ring announcer in the ring, yep. setting up for the next match, and he proceeds to announce from I think it was Knoxville, Tennessee, Nature Boy Buddy, and it's I don't know if you guys picked up on it. It sounded like it said Nature Boy Buddy Rydell, like R-Y-D-E-L-L. And it just, and then the ring announcer's then looking, and then he sees Lawler with the plaque in his hand, and then Lawler gets on the stick, tells the announcer to get out of the ring. So completely blows the surprise of what ended up being a substitute for the Dean Douglas match, which we'll get to in just a few minutes. But... It just, uh, I don't know what happened with the communication, but completely blown spot. And this was just a lot of, like, one thing after another. <laughs> like, oh, this guy's coming out. No, this guy's wrestling. Uh, King, King brings out Double J, presents him with a gold CD for selling 500,000 copies of his country music album, soon to be podcast, Ain't I Great? Um yeah, and then they announced that he's going to be in the Rumble. Was he? He's the first person to announce he's in the Rumble. Was that the thing? Yeah, announced, and then they ended up not following through on that because, which we'll talk about, the results of the uh, interactions he had with the, in the next match ended up setting up a singles match for the pay per view as opposed to him being in the Rumble. So then they announced it's supposed to be Dean Douglas versus Ahmed Johnson, but then Dean Douglas brings out a Buddy Landet like. This whole thing's a train wreck. I almost wonder if, like, something wasn't signed yet or it was a scramble. Because maybe Jarrett wasn't officially signed, so that's why it wasn't, you know, the ring announcer came up first. Maybe Dean, you know, maybe they're going to have him wrestle and Buddy Lando was there just in case because Dean, like, we've known that he had back issues. Like, it, it seems like it seems like this was booking in the moment. Like, up until people went out on camera, they didn't know what was going on. But this was where this the whole thing was slotted in the show. So it had to happen here. One of the things I just, I, yeah, I would definitely go with the whole everything on the fly kind of thing. Um, if you notice Dean Douglas's entrance, he had his music, he had his gimmick, the Board of Education. If you looked at his robe that he was wearing it looked awful like he had it balled up in like his luggage like it just was wrinkly it was all like matted and and whatnot i just we we've talked on previous podcasts 
and I, at least I've I've certainly made it known that I really don't think Troy Martin, Shane Douglas, Dean Douglas really got a fair shake in this WWF run whatsoever. A lot of it uh, connected to the backstage politics with the click and so on. Um, I just there's this supposed back injury that uh, Dean Douglas had. And, and this is like one of the last, I think this is the last appearance we actually see of Dean Douglas. Uh, maybe he had a Monday Night Raw appearance afterwards, but he ends up showing up very, very soon thereafter back in ECW in early January. And there were early January tapings where he was moving around just fine. So I really wonder if there was more to the story in regards to uh, it was Douglas giving his notice or was he trying to get out? Was this legit, you know, back injury going on? But just with the ring announcer botching the whole Buddy Landau being here with and then everything that happened with Jeff Jarrett and then just looking at Douglas coming to the ring, um, things, it just so, it's just everything was off kilter. Yeah. And, and really, too, I, I think when we talk about like Buddy Landell, did, was he even in WWF after this? I mean, what was the reason for the... I know he was in, what, Smoky Mountain? He, he made more appearances, though. Like, I have recollections of him making more appearances. Yep, uh, yep. I've got uh, I got some info, actually. Because of the how little uh, we know of Buddy Landau, because his time in WWF was very, very short, um, uh, Buddy Landau, actually, he died in 2015. I don't know if you guys were aware of that. Uh, he died. He was at uh, 53 years old. So at the time of this pay-per-view, he actually was 33 years old. So he he's, you know, middle point of his career. But he had been around since like the late 70s, early 80s, already wrestling while he was a teenager. Um, his most recent run prior to this WWF appearance, he was in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. And uh, Smoky Mountain Wrestling had actually just recently closed their doors. Uh, Jim Cornette had actually uh, shut the promotion down due to financing. Um, you know, there have been other shoots and other uh, interviews that Cornette probably could have kept it open if he had secured a little bit better financing. But with ECW starting to get more and more prominence and the fact he got offered a, a full-time uh, position with WWF, uh, both Cornette and Buddy Landell came in to uh, back to the WWF full time. I know that we've we've seen Cornette being an on-screen character, but now Cornette was actually becoming more involved with backstage, uh, being a producer, being a writer, being like one of the main guys at Vince McMahon's table in terms of booking meetings with like Patterson and Pritchard and, and planning things. So uh, Smoky Mountain Wrestling had just uh, shut down and interesting, so Landell went to the WWF and actually went to WWF on uh, the same day as another very, very well-known future superstar. Um, Steve Austin was signed from ECW on the same day. So both Buddy Landell and Steve Austin uh, ended up being getting hired. Now, interesting in that uh, Landell actually did not have a contract. He was just working on a nightly basis kind of deal because of the fact that Smoky Mountain had just shut down. Um, so he ended up wrestling this match. 
He had uh, a couple of other appearances. Uh, his most notable other appearance that he had in January before the Rumble, he ended up having a WWF title match on Monday Night Raw against Bret Hart and ended up losing to that. Educator, was that part of like the Smoky Mountain Invasion? Didn't they do like a, a random or they had like the, the title, the tag team title belts on a match? Or it, it was kind of a little bit of the Smoky Mountain. And then we're also starting to tiptoe into the USWA's influence, which we'll start to talk about a little bit later in the show in regards to uh, the Royal Rumble and some of the participants that ended up coming to the Royal Rumble. Um, so we ended up having that match with Brought Hart in January of uh, 96 before the Rumble. And then he ended up getting injured, not, not wrestling related, ended up having an injury outside of wrestling. And he ended up uh, tearing his right quad and was out for about six or seven months. Uh, after he ended up rehabbing and had the surgery and all that to fix that, he ended up wrestling a couple more matches. Um, but I'm sure they were probably house show or dark matches, but we, we don't see Buddy Landell at all after his Bret Hart match in early 96. I think, I think the craziest thing for me was just hearing the Buddy Landell name. It just, I always thought he was older. Like, what, yeah. what do you actually so, was? Like, yeah, he was, so he was 33 years old, uh, at this pay-per-view and he had, uh, you know, a very Southern following. Uh, he was Smoky Mountain wrestling television champion. He was their heavyweight champion. You know, he had, uh, runs with those. Um, he was a big time involved with Mid South Wrestling as well. Um, he ended up, uh, he died because of complications with an automobile accident that he had back in 2015. And he didn't die because of like immediately the injuries. He ended up being released from the hospital, cleared. And the very next day, his wife ended up finding him dead. So I'm sure there's some underlying things. There has been lots of stories of, unfortunately, uh, Landell being involved with lots of drugs, alcohol, so on. So, uh, But it's just unfortunate that so much more could have been the what-ifs uh, that you know Buddy Landell could have, could have had if given the opportunity to do so and couldn't, couldn't, make, uh, couldn't make the most of his minutes. So would you say, because you just said the what-ifs for Buddy Landell, is this the what-if match? So Dean Douglas, Buddy Landell, Ahmed Johnson. Three careers where he, it sounds like, you know, I'm not, I'm not too familiar with Buddy Landell, but obviously Ahmed and we talk about Dean Douglas. I'm, we've, you know, this has been like a Shane, Shane Douglas podcast. Like it's, uh, it's crazy, but even Ahmed Johnson with just the, the start and stops to his career, or do you think there are three people that could have gone a lot further if things would have just worked out better for them or if they had better luck? I think a lot of it may have been the fact that, well, at least for two out of the three, that the other two had established themselves outside of WWF prior that they weren't necessarily going to jump onto the WWE machine, WWF machine, and and the, the cartooniness wasn't necessarily going to be their thing. Um, Landell, in particular, was always known as for the Nature Boy gimmick. You know, he's the third or fourth nature boy between you got Buddy Rogers, you got Flair, and, and then you got Buddy Landell. You know, Land, Landell ends up coming out to what was Ric Flair's 
first WWF theme um, when he had did his original run and feuded with like Macho Man and so on. So yeah, so much more could have could have come, but unfortunately, just it couldn't happen. And probably because of that Nature Boy, you know, going by that moniker, he probably couldn't have gone to WCW at the time. No, because of, of Flair, no. right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Library, anything you want to add? Uh, I mean, there's there's so much here. Uh, all right, the the botched ring intro or whatever the heck happened. King brings out Jeff Jarrett. Oh, he's back. No mention of what happened. No mention of the roadie. No bad blood apparently either. As a kid, I gotta imagine I just thought he was injured, and this was him coming back because I wouldn't have known all the backstage stuff that had happened. Gets the gold CD, which would 500,000 copies sold, 50,000 copies sold, I forget. 500,000. Okay. Uh, bringing Dean Douglas out in Pennsylvania when he's already had a good ECW run and is about to have another. Maybe, maybe that's tied in back injury. Maybe he's like, I'm not going out in front of the Pennsylvania crowd and as this stupid out, you know, gimmick that you've given me when I'm on my way out the door anyways. Um, much better promo. He sounded more like the franchise. Like he was getting back into what he was finally. Super quick match. Ahmed Johnson. I don't even remember when he, he debuted. If it was a superstars, a raw, whatever. But he's shown up and got a push just since the last in your house. And then um, this man, the 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 after of it. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna get to that where. Um... Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot to digest in such a short yeah. period of time. Yeah. Um, of course, the King starts interviewing Ahmed Johnson, and then Jeff Jarrett hits the gold CD. Um, the you know it's like framed in in, in glass and stuff like that. Uh, and then it's a beatdown of Ahmed Johnson. There was there was some stuff before that though. <laughs> what else? What else? What do you want? What was the I'm trying to think how to best word this and how far I want to push it? So what was the paddle that Dean Douglas brought out? The Board of Education. So is this Brown versus the Board of Education? Oh, come on now. <laughs> yeah, so. I mean, it, it's it's the 95 version of what became Stevie Ray's, you know, flapjack. Same idea. No, 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 no. No, no. I mean, this is flat out Lawler and Jarrett sounding horribly racist, not sounding like heels. Just sounding flat out horribly racist on here. Yeah. Let's insult the appearance and the intelligence of the only black good guy on this show. It's it's there. Like it this isn't even like, oh, back then. This is yeah, it's twenty five years ago, but it's also nineteen ninety five. Like yeah. we should have known, hey, the only black good guy on the show, maybe you don't say he's unintelligent maybe you don't mock the way he looks maybe you don't say he smells funny yeah i do maybe remember Jared making a good during... and lawler and lawler the week we're taping this lawler's in trouble for making asian references and he did it two three weeks previously against the kabuki warriors as well there's a you know there was a time when it's like oh those were the jokes we made back then and we don't make it now and all and fine I'm not saying we need to edit these old movies on Disney Plus because stuff, that's not the way we talk anymore. No, it can exist as a historical thing, and that's what it was at the time, and that's the movie or TV show of the time. And to to delete it or to censor it is to ignore it, and that's not good either. This is 
2020 for Lawler's most recent remarks, and only in 1995 for these ones. Like, and yes, being a heel, I get it. There's being a heel. There's also certain things you shouldn't do to maybe not upset part of your audience. You know, if why am why would I turn in to see someone like myself getting insulted on this show? And and also Ahmed faces off Jarrett, and it looks like he forgets it's a show at some point too, because it looks like he's really going for Jarrett. He doesn't get any comeuppance. He's made to look the fool after this quick match against a guy that no one knew who he was before and either. Like your your only black good guy in the whole show is made to look like a fool for his entire time out there. Kevin, let me ask you a question. Okay. Do you think, and obviously the WWE is not known for being the most non um, stereotypical company. Okay. But they're in Philadelphia, right? First match, you have gold dust doing the homophobic lines and, and and gestures and, and a lot of the innuendo, right? Then you Mm -hmm. have the, the deal with Ahmed, right? And then later in the night, and I'm sure we're going to talk about it. Uh, you have the bloodbath that is uh, the Bret Hart Bulldog match. How much of the edgier product is because it's Philly and ECW? I mean, and I'm sure we will talk about that later, too, with, I mean, probably one of the reasons why Bret bladed and stuff like that was they are in Philly, you know. Uh, but what do you think? Do you think because of the time and, and how things are evolving in the industry um, that stuff, obviously the stuff with Ahmed, I mean, that's probably happened. It still happens to this day, but do you think that may have triggered some of this other stuff? I, uh, but did, mm-hmm. it's just a, you know, it's a, it's a tough thing. To, it's a tough thing to say because also too, also to the, the, you know, pay-per-view before, um, you know, Triple H shows up with his arrogance and he sprang down because Fatu smells. Right. And I mean, no one else, there wasn't another gay gimmick at the time. ECW didn't really do a gay gimmick. The the next one I can remember after Goldust would be what, like Kiwi in WCW years later and then Christopher Street Connection when uh, Ring of Honor starts. But, but with Corn- why, can't, why can't they just do a regular gay guy? Like, hey, I'm gay, whatever. I don't get Cause, it. Because then it's Darren Young and he doesn't have a job anymore? Yeah, like, it's just... Oh. And and Sony Deville's partnered with a guy right now for I don't know why. Now, if you want to have a black wrestler, whether whether good guy or bad guy, get the crowd with him and upset some people who may be racist and become a hero for a black community or at least we're interested in you then as we just said smoky mountain just closed and look at what the gangsters were doing down there now you can't do that in wwe by any means you can't go to that extreme but you could go you know dial it back and still do the same thing and have you know one section of your audience like yeah I don't like that guy because of how he looks and I want to see him get beat. And the other half saying, that's exactly why I want to see him win. And if Cornette just got onto WWE, here's Ahmed Johnson, this massive 
man, with some athletic skill and, and potential, he's raw, he's green, but there's some potential there. Let's see what happens. This could be something. Ahmed, Ahmed looked like a star. He, he yeah. Just, it's not what happened. That's why, but, yeah. that's why I bring it up. I wish... You know, I wish we could have saw his full potential of his career and he didn't have the, you know, he got, th- what did he get thrown out of the ring and he cut his hand on the new, uh, the new uh, announce tables and just random weird injuries that happened to him. It, his career was kind of cursed. You do wonder what happened, but I also feel like there's a lot of things where he wasn't put into a great situation to begin with. Uh, one thing I did want to add is. I'm a Johnson's theme song, Certified Banger. That theme song is Certified right. Banger. Yeah. It goes probably on my top five WWF uh, theme songs. Of course, we all know what number one is. God. No? You guys don't know what number one is? So the In Your House theme? No. Not the Nashville one? No. The original Owen Hart. The dooch. Dooch. That was a good theme song. Absolutely. Okay, that's it. That's all you guys get. Um, <laughs> anything else you want to add to the match? Post-match shenanigans with the Jarrett Lawler kind of double team on Ahmed setting up for what ended up now becoming a, a pay-per-view match between the two at the Royal Rumble. That's a good analysis of the post-match stuff, Educator. Way to go. Just trying to get away from that segment as quickly as possible. <laughs> Why don't we talk about the America Online room real quick? <laughs> Nothing bad ever happens in chat rooms, so let's go there. All right, let's bring it back to something wholesome and fun. Hillbilly Jim, he's coming out for the Hogpen match. Why would you have a Hogpen match in Philly? Like, if all your areas you're going to. I mean, it's the closest thing you're going to get to a hardcore, uh, and mm. some of the things, the, the spots that they did, uh, rather than your traditional barricade, instead you're throwing them into the the metal door in, into the pen itself, and and we'll we'll talk about uh, Hunter taking a a pretty good beating Triple H uh, from this match and getting cut up pretty about pretty bad in this match. So yeah, um, a couple things that that I have just kind of for um, for notes that I is there's slop everywhere. I mean. This is just, I mean, it's crazy, crazy, crazy that this is going down. And uh, one, I, the a lot of the match was boring to me. Very slow moving. Right. They would leave the ring, get to the pen, walk back to the ring. Like, the flow of the match was just seemed a little off to me. Um, but the end is great, obviously, with, you know, H um, getting into the hog pen, throwing the whatever it is do you think you can do that now where you're just throwing animal pet into a crowd like i don't think so no definitely not yeah so what did so what did you guys think of the match i mean those are just a, a few things obviously the uh triple triple h wins uh but he does take that that nasty uh his back into the entrance of the hog pen uh and starts bleeding and then he goes back first into the pen yeah like th- I was like, oh, my God, how did he not get, like, an infection? That, that like was that. one of the things I have in my notes, too. Um, you know, Hillbilly Jim, they had to dub the music. Don't go mess with a country boy. Must be the rights that it expired. Uh, Hillbilly Jim being the guest referee coming down, you know, getting the crowd into it. Man, it's 95. It's, guy still looks like he could he could go if he needed to. You know, what a lot of people don't know is that when his in-ring career stuff kind of fizzled out, he ended up being involved very heavily with uh, WWF home video and Coliseum video 
and uh, distribution and all that stuff. So he, he still was uh, a very integral part in the WWF machine. Um, uh, Hogman coming down with uh, two pails of slop. And uh, at the start of the match, they ended up doing uh, a little schmaz of uh, uh, Hunter Helmsley going to get slopped right at the beginning of the match. He ended up grabbing one of the agents and ended up throwing the slop onto uh, Hunter used an agent as a shield and ended up being uh, what you would end up becoming future ring announcer Tony Chimmel making another appearance and getting slopped by uh, Henry Godwin. Um, certainly uh, interesting when uh, Triple H was tied up in the ropes, the, the Andre the Giant spot where both of his arms are trapped in the ropes. And Henry Godwin goes and grabs a handful of slop from the second bucket and just proceeds to smear it in his face and in his hair all over, really, really, um, uh, you know, trying to get the crowd into it. I think that King tried to do the best he can at the comedy shtick, um, healing very, very hard, making fun of Henry Godwin from being from Bitters, Arkansas, and was trying to do the, the Jeff Foxworthy type jokes. Uh, to poke and make fun, you know, if uh, y- if you get a set of odor eaters as a Christmas present, you're from Bitters, Arkansas. If your two-year-old has more teeth than you, you might be from Bitters, Arkansas. Um, yeah, so, you know, it was uh, the, the pacing of the match, the uh, start in the ring, let's go tease, the match is going to finish, it doesn't finish, then we go back to the ring, we do some more, and then we go back to the hog pen to finish the match, so the back and forth, um, I will say one of the things that um, I started to become a, a big fan of Henry Godwin, the worker, um, I know the pacing of the match was slow, but he had an amazing uh, wheelbarrow like roll up that turned into um, what we would now know as Beth Phoenix's glam slam. I know Vader ended up using that as a finisher in uh, WCW when he was like U.S. champion and was feuding with Hacksaw Jim Duggan and so on. But he had a very very impressive that wheelbarrow uh, glam slam type maneuver, uh, maneuver to uh, Triple H. Um, the thing that really just put it over is them, them beating the heck out of that metal door that was the entry to the hog pen. I mean, this hog pen, it was, we mentioned at the beginning of the show, or it was mentioned, the, the setup of the arena. This hog pen was like the size of a second ring. So, I mean, it was almost as if it was like a war games kind of deal, but they had it separate, and you do kind of feel bad. Uh, at the, for the crowd that was positioned there. But I mean, you know, they got to, that's why they were doing the spots over there to give that part, portion of the crowd, you know, something to remember. But that Irish whip or Beal into that metal door and you just see Triple H wince and he goes down and then you just see his back torn open and blood. Um, you probably remember, um, a spot from the, uh, WWE's revamped ECW when Bob Holly got thrown over the top rope through a table and he sliced his back open on a table. This was very, very reminiscent of it. And Triple H completely finished the match, you know, and then proceeded to do the 
the the shenanigans at the end where he ended up getting press slammed into the slop and then he ends up slipping back first into the slop and was rolling all over the place and oh I mean his back how he like you guys mentioned how he didn't get an inf- how he didn't get an infection or a you know bigger injury Ooh, crazy 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 Hillbilly Jim is an absolute giant which you forget, and I didn't realize. Uh, I think he worked better um, big man style as a referee than Sid did earlier in the evening. So Hunter just bumping his head off. Like he, I could not believe how much he was, the punishment he was taking, how much he was giving to Godwin with this. Um, the the heel avoiding stuff like he he was almost dumped in the hog pen and then he you know narrowly escaped and everything doing a tremendous job in this uh the back cut up like you said is disgusting and frightening to watch and then he's in the mud with whatever else is in there like you know he must have gotten a tetanus shot or something later on that evening to just be all right the thing that really got me though in your wwfe revisionist history it's always well the curtain call happened and diesel and razor were gone and sean was champs we couldn't punish him so we had to punish hunter and the way we punished hunter is he didn't win king of the ring that year like he was supposed to and we put him into the hog pen match diesel and razor on this card yeah i mean this is well before all those shenanigans before curtain call Right. Yep. But th- that's that's the way they they tell the story now. Well, he was punished and put in a hog pen match. This was before that. You can't punish this someone seven, eight for something they before that, to yeah. do. Oh, and how about best best shot of the night is whatever fan threw that cup that knocked Hunter right in the face while he was in the hog pen. Right. That was yep. a hell of a shot. That was like that was like Adam Bomb throwing a football. <laughs> do you do. You, do you guys think those those pigs were there all night, or did they just bring them off of the match and bring them back? I would imagine, right? I, I think from the beginning of the night, as the fans came in, so they could see it until that match. And you know, I think they stayed in there because what are you going to do? Try to get them out of the ring with shorter matches and all, and all the people coming down, and and then you would need a second location to keep them. Unless this is the the infamous show where the pig showed up and Owen put them in Vince's office. That that's the show. No, that's this I'm one? gonna bring that up. Oh yeah. This this okay, was that ahead. show. Yep. You said you were gonna bring it up if you got it. Uh, well no I just remember the stories from uh the uh that cartoon series that revisits some of the craziness growing up that um Owen Hart had snuck some of the pigs into what was Vince's office at the pay-per-view show that day so that when he ended up going into the office unsuspectingly yeah because they were there earlier in the day and Vince walks up and yeah in his office and those pigs were in there so yeah they were there all day is there any place I could watch this cartoon show with these old uh, classic WWF WWE stories I'm pretty sure if you wanted to uh uh, do so, you can go to the award-winning WWE Network, uh, and I do believe, help me out, Mr. Hellions, is there still an offer from the Retro Network? There are still links and banners and stuff you can click on. In fact, if you if you got the show from the network, it's probably right there on the same page. Perfect. Was that, uh, that's Storytime or Storytellers, right? Is that what it's called? Storytime. Story yeah. WWE Storytime, yep. 
right after the hog match ended, we ended up getting our first formal promo for the 1996 uh, Royal Rumble. Um, and in particular, when the promo ends and Vince in particular saying that this particular Royal Rumble 1996 coming up was going to be the most unusual and unexpected with individuals you would not expect to see in the WWE. And here is where we end up getting the return of Jake the Snake Roberts. We see Dory Funk Jr. Uh, coming to the WWE for a one-shot um, from IWA. Uh, the Headhunters tag team. They were called the Squad Team or something like that. We squad. had the Squat Team. And then we also had uh, Doug Gilbert from USWA uh, in that Royal Rumble. And um, you guys probably don't even remember there was a Japanese wrestler uh, Takeo Omori who ended up doing uh, a one show run in for this uh, so yeah he was kind of planting the seeds for some new faces and new bodies that would eventually be coming in and unfortunately um, all of them were pretty much one shot deals or one set of tapings deals with the exception of Jake Roberts so trying to plant the seeds for some uh, new faces for the next big show coming up and, and that's and that's a good thing because as we've, we've gone over these we kind of see the transition of you know uh, you, this person's leaving in three months this person's leaving in two months uh uh jared says he's gonna be in the rumble then he's not in the rumble i mean it's just everything is just it seems to be out of control right now like just as far as people jumping ship leaving ship and of course uh with uh wcw picking up steam um, especially after the the WrestleMania in '96 with uh, Razor and Diesel, then it's off to the races. So, right. uh, so why don't we go to the Owen Hart uh, Diesel match? Speaking of uh, those two, uh, Owen wins by DQ. Uh, what did, what did you guys think of this? Better working the knee than Bulldog did. Owen did a lot better job of this. Um, it's not anywhere near as long a match. Owen doesn't get in as much offense as Bulldog did, but he. He works the same style match better, and it's just it's it's kind of a shame because here's Bulldog in the main event later in the night, and here's Owen that never got that spot and should have flat out the better worker. He was just smaller. Um, kind of almost a squash-ish type match. It was a relatively short match. Um, couple of notes. Um, there were they were tied up in the corner and. Diesel's got his back back to the corner and Owen climbs up to the second rope to start, you know, doing the haymaker punches and Diesel pushes Owen off almost kind of like a choke slam shove off and Owen tumbles back so hard on his neck. I am shocked that Owen didn't have some kind of neck injury from that push off um, into the center of the ring where he flips back. Diesel kind of, uh, uh, tweaking his character a little bit, obviously frustrated with the the title loss from the previous pay per view, as well as you know the, the 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 whole thing with Shawn Michaels being injured due to uh, the the Enziguri kick from the match on Raw from Owen Hart. Uh, Diesel's working a uh, just starting to plant the seeds to the heat, full blown heel turn. He's working a really hard, really really stiff. Um, match with Owen moving, moving hard, very, very hard. Um, does the full jackknife power bomb onto Owen? Loved, loved the spot where he just puts his foot on Owen for the one, two, and then he takes his foot off 
to stop the three count and picks up Owen as if he's going to set him up for another uh, jackknife powerbomb. And then you've got the referee spot here where referee's warning him, hey, you know, you've got him beat. There was no need. And then Diesel just goes nuts on the ref and knocks him down, causing the DQ finish, the win for Owen Hart. Wish it could have been a little bit longer, but probably trying to save time for the the Bulldog Brett match later, uh, right afterwards. Yeah, and uh, I, I think it's really good storytelling too. And I guess you could do it obviously with the Hearts. I mean, the way they're all intertwined, like you said, the Inziguri kick to Sean teasing the the concussions or or, or whatnot, or he they re-injured it because he got to that fight. Um, Diesel going after Diesel taking on Bret Hart the previous month at, at Survivor Series now going after the little brother that took the title from him. I mean, these little these little seeds and these storylines just to me seemed very well planned out. Three shows in a row where essentially Diesel is 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 going against the Hart Foundation between the Bulldog and the October pay-per-view. Now Bret Hart in the November Survivor Series and now Owen Hart with the uh, December in your house. So definitely triangle storyline that, you know, could could have been built a little bit more. But again, trying to get the sympathy for the best friend that's been injured uh, kind of deal. Yeah, like like you're saying, it's a glorified squash. Um, but the match isn't about a Diesel and Owen feud or even Diesel and the Hart family feud. The greater point of the match is a larger Diesel Shawn Michaels story. So the match doesn't matter at all. It's about progressing this story. The, the the best example I can give is, you know, you need to have like three, four episodes of The Walking Dead where people talk so that when you get to the later episode where something happens, it matters. You need to right. have that build up for sense. it. Right. Yeah, and this match is just continuing the build up of Diesel's, really at this point, of Diesel's larger storyline because Sean Michaels takes his own story here when he comes back. Yeah, and I really think going back to these, I, I'm just noticing kind of, I don't know, it just seems like these storylines, especially compared to now, going from pay-per-view, and we're not even watching all the content. I mean, we skip a month and a half because, you know, this in your house is is a month later than this one, and then the next one's in February. Um, but you see the progression of the storylines on the pay-per-views, whereas now most of the progressions of the storylines are on your television. You know, you're raw and you're SmackDown and NXT, whatever it is. So it's just kind of um, just to see how kind of times have changed just going based on storyline and how how it's all intertwined and how they're changed from there. Most of the matches have reason for happening, too. The, the vast majority of them have reason, even if it's just last week on Superstars or last week on Raw, there's at least a reason for it to happen for the majority of them, whereas now it seems the matches that have a reason to happen are the rarity, and the rest are just like, well, they got to be on the card. We need matches to fill the card, so these two are going to fight. Why? I don't know. Just they'll put just, on. They'll put know, on. We good, need a match. Yeah, they'll put on a good match. Yeah, you know. Um, why don't we? Why don't we move on to the Diviasi Savio Vega Santa Claus? Segment. What the hell? <laughs> Do you guys want to take this over? Do you guys, you know, we got Santa Claus showing up. Uh, you know, we don't even know that yet. Do we know who it is? Well, I, I mean, mean later it's revealed as to who it is. It ended up being um, uh, a failed experiment in terms of a new member to the corporation. 
Um, but certainly trying to, uh, trying to, you know, pull, pull at the heartstrings of the whole holiday theme. Did they try to make, let me, let me ask you this, their educator. Um, I mean, did they honestly think they would have, be able to have a Santa Claus character for more than a couple weeks at this point? I, I really don't know. Maybe there, it was just more of a tryout for uh the wrestler that ended up portraying the character to see uh you know all right what can we do with this and then can we end up doing something else down in the future um this particular gentleman that ended up playing uh the santa claus character uh he he was an established wrestler he was from smoky mountain wrestling he uh he ended up being he was boo radley uh, in Smoky Mountain Wrestling, and then eventually, after this failed, he ended up showing up in ECW and became what he's most well-known for, uh, being the Balls Mahoney character. The chair-wielding psycho. <laughs> it's just kind of fascinating to me, um, the whole the whole segment where DiBiase saying that he bought Santa Claus, <laughs> and some of the things like, I know Santa Claus, no, he didn't, he's a good man. So what did you, what did you think, Kevin? Like, he comes out later, not not on this pay per view, but um, on later shows as Santa Claus with a X and a K, and he's from the South Pole, and it's more like a black and red, still Santa themed outfit. And I think what they were going for is like, well, Santa only shows up once a year, but his evil brother from the South Pole can be here all the time. That's how they were going to run the gimmick. But you could have just had, hey. You know, Ted DiBiase come out in the next Superstars or Raw and say, hey, remember when I bought off Santa? Obviously, that wasn't Santa. It's the guy in suit. And here's my, the newest member of Corporation, you know, Mahoney, or because they went with called him Balls Mahoney at the time. But, you know, like any other name than Santa Claus. You could have just right. said, here's the guy, and here's his deal, and he's in the corporation now. But as soon as he comes out as that Santa Claus, it's like, this is dumb. It's dated, and we're already, as as we've alluded to, ECW's around, we're already going in a new direction, and you want to throw another cartoon character out here? No. It's doomed to fail from the start. But again, like like you were saying earlier for the card for the upcoming uh, at this point, the upcoming Rumble, and even if we go as far as WrestleMania, maybe the reason for some of these ridiculous characters and the length of time some of the matches are getting is because we don't have anyone else. Right. Do you think let me ask you guys a question. Do you think, okay, Santa Claus, stupid, right? We all agree that. But do you think, I, I think you could pull a character out of this, okay? Not like a Santa Claus, but the person that is portraying Santa Claus, like a mall Santa, right? And then every holiday, they're an evil Easter bunny or they're this or that. But it's it's the person. It's not like, oh my God, it's Santa Claus. It's this guy who's down on his luck, who gets drunk, fights, and this is the only job he can get is he fights and he, he portrays a mall Santa or a leprechaun for, you know, uh, for, uh, what is it, uh, St. Patrick's Daddy. Day, right. or he's Baby New Year. And not that it's it's like a comedy character, but you may be able to find something there and pull it out. Um what do you guys think? Do you think that this could have gone anywhere besides just, all right, he's going to be on for a couple weeks and then this is not working. I got two ideas here. One, um, it's a second season of American horror story, which I was watching at one point and need to get back to, but 
there's a person in an asylum that dressed up as Santa because he had a traumatic thing happen to him at Christmas time and he snapped. And so he dons a Santa costume to get back at the world. And the, after, you know, his, his own trauma, he's inflicting that holiday themed trauma on other people now. So you could have something like that. Someone takes like a horrible loss around Christmas time, loses title, loses everything, whatever, and kind of snaps and still wears it. Kind of like when Chelsea Green was in TNA Impact doing the hot mess gimmick and she kept her wedding dress on for months because she had this horrible thing happen and she never changed out of it. Or if you want to go with someone that's just like dressing up and getting in fights, put Heath Slater into this gimmick. I got kids. I need a job. I need to pay my bills. You want me to come out as a leprechaun, as Santa, as the gobbledygooker, as whatever, and get beat up? I don't care as long as I still get paid. And right. he would, the sympathy he would get, you would get over with that gimmick because everyone would be like, you know, any little bit of offense he gets while looking ridiculous, it's like, yeah, but he's just, he's doing it just like me. I'm just working every day because I need to raise my kids and, and give them a good life. And that's all he's doing, too. He would get over so fast with that. Right. No, it's a good spin. It's a real good take. Yeah, I just think, I, I think they were on to something, like, but they just didn't go all the way with it, in my opinion. It's just kind of like one of those ideas where they try it for two weeks and it's like, okay, whatever, this is. This is stupid or it's not coming out the way they want it to. Well, let's move on from Santa Claus to the leather Zaddy Claus, okay? The leather Zaddy Claus. Doc Hendricks just slinging them video games for the kids. Uh, on every system. Every system. Uh, most shocking thing is the prices of these games. Oh, up. I know. Crazy. <laughs> now, 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 uh, now, Educator, you, you're you into some um, some video games. Uh, do you remember this game? Did you like this game? What do you uh, do? You own it? You might you might own it now. Um, I, actually, I do have a copy. I have the uh, the PlayStation One uh, for the PS One in the big in the big long box. It was one of the original launch title size uh, boxes. But yeah, I mean the prices were just absolutely outrageous. You know, sixty nine ninety nine for a Super Nintendo cart, sixty four ninety nine for the Sega Genesis cart. Um, and then the PlayStation, because the discs are a little bit cheaper to press, I think it was fifty four ninety nine for the prices. Um, was this that was, their prices, or was that WWF prices because of you know it's kind of third party, or was that how much they actually would have been? I normal? think uh, I, I would say within five dollars. Oh, um, <laughs> they may have been five dollars more than what MSRP. What maybe in a store if you got it on a sale, but, but no, that that sounds about right. You know, Super Nintendo games, sixty dollars uh, on the bottom end was was not uncommon when they were first released, and so on. So um, this was kind of uh, WWF's attempt to try to get more of a realistic, uh, uh, realistic character sprite. Uh, but this ended up being more of a fighting game than an actual wrestling game and so on. So I am certainly not one that I'm ever begging to go back to uh, play around with. If I play it once more in my lifetime, I would be shocked. Okay, couple couple other questions for you. <laughs> Uh, what is the best wrestling game? Well, I, I have a very soft spot to uh, the arcade game WWF WrestleFest. Um, in that it has both the tag mode and the Royal Rumble mode. Um, certainly wish uh, a more modern version of that, and I, I believe one is actually in the works to be released independently sooner rather than later. 
Uh, but um, retro, the Retro Studios game, uh, Retro. Yeah, the Retro. Yeah, <laughs> it looks. Awesome. It looks. It does really. It does look good. And and um, it's coming out for the Switch. Right. Um. You know, uh, the SmackDown versus Raws that eventually came into the WWE uh, 2K games, you know, I, I've been inconsistent at playing those. But again, for when we're talking about this time and, and the nostalgia, uh, was a huge, huge fan of uh, WWF No Mercy. I, I'm a huge fan of that game. And then also, too, obviously the pay-per-view is taking place December 17th. Do you honestly think if you order that game, you're going to get it in time for Christmas? You're going to get it in time. No, Probably not. not. Maybe <laughs> maybe they had an express shipping, but... <laughs> How much do you think that cost? Oh, 95 Unbelievable. One of the things uh, before, and I, I had this in my notes before the, the shilling, because this was the only shilling for the entire pay-per-view. There wasn't a t-shirt or cardboard standout or anything like that. <laughs> Um, uh, one of the things I noticed during the, uh, the Zanta Claus, Ted DiBiase, Savio Vega brawl, as they are fighting back towards the locker room and you've got the camera kind of following them back towards the entrance, I thought it was very odd that there were like four wrestlers that you could see off to the right side in wrestling gear, kind of like just sitting there or standing there, kind of off to the side of the entryway. And I, I wrote it down in my notes. I'm like, what in the world? Why were there like three or four guys that appeared to be in wrestling gear just standing there? And then we come to find out, yeah, it's the Undertaker-Mabel match that's coming up next. And they were the guys that were carrying Mabel to the ring on his throne. So they were already getting ready. But it's just they should have been off camera. You shouldn't have been able to see them whatsoever. All right, let's 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 move into that match. Let's move into Mabel versus Taker in the casket match course mabel gets carried out now i got a question i was looking because it was mabel being carried out by jeff hardy jeff hardy was i uh, was in the same spot as that rhino uh terry gurren was in at the previous pay-per-view so if you're facing the actual you're watching it on the television screen it would have been the guy in the front to your left on the screen yep that was young jeff hardy carrying him out I like I was looking around to see I'm maybe Matt was in the back in the opposite corner and you couldn't see him, but that definitely was Jeff Hardy in the front. This is no insult by any means to Jeff Hardy. Or if Matt Hardy's you know, was one of the carriers there too. But last one, Rhino was one of the people carrying him out. Not a doubt in my mind, at every stage in their careers, Rhino has been a stronger person than either Matt or Jeff Hardy. Absolutely. Not, not gonna any of them. But if you put them all in the gym, Rhino's putting up more weight. Mabel is huge. That chair he's sitting on is, you know, is more weight as well. I just can't picture the Hardys being strong enough to be of the four carrying this. Rhino, sure. Get four dudes like Rhino? Absolutely. I can see it. I can't see four Hardys, you know, four people that size carrying Mabel and this throne. I mean, they did, obviously, but I just don't, I don't know how. I mean, when you think back to um, when Macho Man and Sherry, I mean, together, two people sitting on that double throne, they wait. I mean, that was less than what Mabel is. I'm sure that 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 carryable that the throne that was able to be brought to the ring that had to weigh at least 100 pounds. I mean, it had to be solid to support his body weight. And we, you know, we make jokes. uh, I know I made a joke at the last show that because Rhino was carrying it, it was leaning 
kind of off to the side because Rhino is just is known to be a shorter, uh, a shorter individual. Um, but yeah, I mean, they were bringing him to the ring and they pulled it off. But that was absolutely Jeff Hardy on the front. And I mean, this is a very tiny, thin, <laughs> white meat Jeff Hardy there. So you know. Yeah. Um. So we got a like I said a casket match. Uh. The the weird thing to me is this. You know, casket match you, you think of as a gimmick that they bring out like once a year. Uh, but he actually had a casket match at uh, SummerSlam. The, SummerSlam from against, prior, against, right? Uh, was it Kama or Kama? Kama. Good, yep. good. I got it right this time. I'm, I'm growing, guys. Uh, and he also had a dark match at In Your House 2 that was a, a casket match against Kama as well. Now, during the storyline, was he just trying to bury everyone that was part of that group? I mean, was the the Mabel like with Cornette's group, or is was Cor- Corny behind Kama and stealing the urn and all that stuff? Uh, Kama was Million Dollar Corporation, and uh, I mean, this was a continuation starting all the way back from SummerSlam. Oh gosh, '94 when they did the Undertaker versus Undertaker, and then Undertaker just slowly started to go through all the members of the corporation and he ended up he uh, took on Bundy at WrestleMania 11 which was earlier this same calendar year and in the middle of that Bundy match um that's when Kama had come down and stole the urn from Paul Bearer and there was a a, a promo mid match a split screen promo where Kama said he was going to melt that uh uh, the urn into a chain to, you know, and causes Undertaker to lose his powers. And then that's why we hardly saw Undertaker on television, uh, for a lot. And we, we talked extensively about the creatures of the night gimmick. And then after that SummerSlam match against Kama, uh, they ended up building where, um, Paul Bearer ended up somehow getting the chain back. And then I don't know if it was a Monday Night Raw or if it was at SummerSlam. It's it's escaping me right now. Um, Mabel ends up stealing the chain from Paul Bearer back, and so we still got the same melted chain uh, that the whole comma storyline was around. And now we've just transitioned it to uh, Mabel with the chain. Well, I think it, it transitioned to when um, it was the the leg drop, right? That crushed his face, and that's why we get Phantom Taker here. Right. One of the things I have in my notes, and back at the time, the whole Phantom Taker, the mask and all that stuff, it seems so weird, so out of place, and just so like different. But now going back and watching this show, honestly, probably the first time in about 20, 25 years, Undertaker wearing that mask, it didn't seem out of place because we have been so conditioned and used to Kane having worn a very similar shaped V mask or, you know, around his face and all with a big open mouth. It, it honestly, it just, it looked like just a, a gray version of a current day cane mask that he was wearing in the match. So it just, it looked normal. Gold chain caskets covered in graffiti. Um, probably Mabel's best match so far, because as we've mentioned before, he's, doesn't seem to know what his role is. He's all in in this role, in this match. He's moving well like a big guy. He's being a good heel. He's playing up the king thing. We were asking the whole point of Mo on a previous podcast. Mo's doing fantastic on the outside. Absolutely. He's a heel manager. Going yep. out, causing trouble, get, getting the attention off of his guy. 
you know, so his guy can go ahead and, you know, commit heelish deeds and he'll distract the ref or distract Paul Bear or whatever it is. Two of them are looking great here, and it's the peak, really, overall of their performance. It's kind of a shame, like, when they finally get everything together, it's almost over. Um, Undertaker wins, as we probably should have expected. Yeah, that's just how it goes most of the time for him. But what a, it also seems like such a, it's probably we need to kill this feud because then the Rumble's next month and then we got Undertaker's storyline going into Mania. But it's also such a nothing blow off for what could have been a bigger feud. I mean, do you, th- do you think they were going to get like great matches out of Mabel and Taker? I think you could have gotten more that would have been at least at this level. I think Mabel finally was putting everything together, and the longer he worked with someone like Undertaker, the better it could have been for him. Well, you, you say you're starting to put things together, but, I mean, here we are. We're December. He won the King of the Ring tournament back in, what was it, June, right? And yeah. this is actually one of Mabel's final appearances. Um Something goes down. We don't see uh, Mabel on TV for a couple of weeks. He does a uh, he's an entrant in the Rumble, and then that's it for Mabel for a while. So uh, I'm wondering if this match was just wrapping things up, finishing because there was some backstage stuff going on that was going to be managed and dealt with, and uh, they wanted to make a shock. Uh, yeah, they wanted to just finalize everything here. Um, Interesting note: the uh, the casket, um, I'm sure, was the exact same casket that was used for the Yokozuna matches. Um, just they modified it with the graffiti itself. Um, in the end, it ended up just becoming really a handicap match: Men on a Mission versus The Undertaker. Um, the the interesting finish where uh, Mabel does the big slam onto. Uh, Taker and then Mo drags him out of the ring, puts him up on his shoulders, walks Undertaker around. It just it's a strange sight seeing Mo carrying the Undertaker towards the casket. They ended up opening up the casket, dropping Taker in. Mabel turns around, goes to get his crown. He wants to wear his crown when he shuts the lid. Love the little shimmy dance that he does before he walks over to shut the casket. And then you just see the gloved hand reach up and grab the casket and, uh, and open it back up. And Taker comes in, does the choke slam, uh, throws, uh, uh, stomps Mabel to get him into the casket, ends up, uh, grabbing Mo. Slamming him, throwing him in the casket, goes to slam the door and realizes, oh, Mo still got the chain around his neck. Doesn't want to slam the door with Mo, Mabel, and the chain in there. So Taker actually has to step down into the casket. Mm-hmm. And it's it's weird because you can see him like looking for a spot to physically stand in the casket and not be physically on anybody. He grabs the chain, steps out of the casket, slams the lid, and uh, there it is, finish of the match. Yeah, it, you're right. It absolutely did look like he forgot. Then it was like, oh, shoot, I got to get this. Right. All right, and then and then moving on from that, uh, we have an interview with uh, Bulldog Corny and Diana Smith. What, what did you guys think no. of that? Quick thing here, because we're back to the two-man announced team for this entire pay-per-view, just Vince and Lawler, Jim Ross backstage. I thought maybe Ross was already like at home because it seems like Vince wants him but hates him 
an equal amount of time over his WWE career. But then you look, he absolutely had Taco Bell's palsy since the last show, didn't he? Oh, yeah. Yeah, not as severe as it got, but enough that they were like, you are not on camera announcing this whole show tonight. Which is weird because, I mean, him interviewing, he is like one of the focal points of the segment, whereas opposed to uh, broadcasting, you know, he'd be sitting at the table just doing the voiceover stuff, and there, there, you would think there would be less... I don't, I don't know. I, I, I look at it. You, you could take it in both ways that how they could have used him. But I, I truly do believe, yeah, there was a love hate going on and uh, what what his role was going to be uh, going forward was was more off camera and then ended up being more of, a, you know, a producer backstage kind of deal dealing with house shows and so on. All right, guys, we've did it. We've come to the main event of In Your House Five Seasons Beatings. We're up to the Bret Hart versus the British Bulldog match. But I promised everyone that we would bring back internet wrestling community legend. This man trended the other night on Twitter, wrestling after dark himself, Mr. Crone Meltzer, back in the building the resident man that hates Bret Hart. Uh, Crone Meltzer, how have you been over these few weeks? I have been quite all right. I have been doing some homework that the educator gave me, trying to do my due diligence in the education of myself of Bret Hart. All right, great. Well, that, that's good. So I'm going to have you lead it off. Uh, just go through, what did you think of the match uh, did you like it? Did you not like it? Do you have any notes on it? Anything like that? You can go right ahead. I appreciate that. I did. Um, I had the assignment last time from the educator to go back and watch the SummerSlam 92 match between Bret Hart and the British Bulldog. So I got on the WWE Network, fired it up, and went back and watched that. And I will preface this by saying that I had already seen the finish before. I'd seen the pop. I knew how it ended and everything like that. But going back and watching that match, I will give Bret Hart his credit. Put on a damn good match. Him and the British Bulldog both certainly did. I think that there's some similarities between the match that took place at this in your house and then the one at Wembley. But then I feel like the moods were different as well. Like, I almost think this match at In Your House was better than the one at SummerSlam, but I felt like the vibe was a lot different at SummerSlam. It felt more grander, like a WrestleMania. Um, You know, the crowd was hot. You had that air horn going off, big old stadium and everything. And uh that was pretty special. But then you get in this in this different environment in Hershey, Pennsylvania, you know, in a much smaller area. And you got ECW chants. You got he's hardcore chants when he, when Brett gets busted open, the moods were completely different. And I feel like this match resonated with me more than the SummerSlam 92 match, just because it had a more, what I'm used to vibe to it almost. And for that, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, the match itself was great. We can go into that or whatnot, but I just wanted to preface it by saying that the atmosphere for this match was fantastic. Yeah, you can really feel, especially on this match, and like you said, you you've done your you've done your homework. You went on Google Google Classrooms. Um, <laughs> is that what it's called, Google Classroom? 
Yeah, yeah, Google Classroom. And you did your homework, you watched the two matches, and you can really feel that almost pre-attitude era. You you see it bubbling up. You see it getting to there. You see those influences that ECW had on um on the industry. So, uh, Mr. Educator, what would you like to add to that? Um, are you happy with your pupil here? Uh, not too bad. Uh, definitely the vibes between the two matches were a lot different. I, I think the, the spectacle of the SummerSlam match is thought about more because of the size of the arena, Bulldog being in his home country. Um, you have a, a face versus face, you know, good guy versus good guy match. You have the whole dynamic, and then you learn, you know, after the fact, you, you know, Bret Hart is lauded for having such an amazing match, and apparently the British Bulldog was completely out of it in terms of uh, being high on various drugs and so on. Um, it, it would be interesting to find out whether or not uh, Bulldog was quote-unquote clean for the in-your-house match uh, that he had with Bret a few years later. I, one thing I do want to say before this match even started, uh, the promo before the backstage interview, Jim Ross interviewing Cornette, Diana Smith, Diana Hart Smith, and uh, the Bulldog. Jim Cornette, without a doubt, proves why this guy was the man on the stick, uh, getting getting into the digs of. Uh, Going all the way back to 1981 when, when, uh, Davy Boy Smith shows up in Stampede Wrestling and Stu Hart recognizes the potential that this, this, uh, this European kid has and how, you know, Stu gained confidence in the Bulldog and then ended up, his daughter ends up falling in love with the Bulldog and, and how, you know, Diana used to look up to Brett as being her hero and now she's got this husband. And that she looks up to him as a hero. Such an amazing promo to get people thinking about the match itself. Um, so fantastic start. I love the history uh, that was, again, revived and reviewed with uh, thinking back to the SummerSlam match. Uh, the throwback to Bulldog wearing, uh, while well, it's said to be identical or, or the same tights that he wore at SummerSlam 92. And let me tell you, the, how those tights looked at the beginning of the match versus what they looked like at the end of the match, it was an absolute war zone uh, between Hart and Bulldog. Yeah, the amount of uh, color in this match is absurd. And I think that's what I remember most of it. I think a lot of us do. I do want to just kind of piggyback and bring uh, the Mass Library into the conversation about the main event uh, because you brought up Jim Cornette and how great he was on this. You know, last in your house for... Um, you know, the Great White North, uh, Mr. Library, you talked about how good Cornette was um, during the Yoko and uh, Mabel match. Um, and then, of course, you know, just kind of his his career as a manager over these in your houses. He really has been stealing the show and he is on camera. Could he possibly be Mr. In Your House, Mr. Library? Why don't you? Uh, take wow. I mean, if, you think, if you think about it, put his performances up, though. He's consti- consistently, we've talked about him on every one of these, it seems like. Wow, that's a big rule. I mean, he's... I know I know. if Russo's listening to this, he won't like what we're saying, but it's true. 
<laughs> Bruce is not gonna like a few things I've written lately. Um, you, you know, because he reads it. It's it's a tough call, but you're right. He has been a consistent player in all of this, and it's amazing to see how good he is when he's focused, when he has an end goal, a mission, and his end goal and focus here is because uh, educators, he's booking team at this time too. I think. Um, we mentioned it back earlier in the podcast that um, Cornette's now completely uh, a part of WWE. Smoky Mountain Wrestling had just closed down uh, in early December, finally closed its doors, and uh, Cornette was brought on completely full-time now. It wasn't just like making shots, um, being an on-screen character. So at this point, yeah, he, he's part of some of the administration in terms of booking and, and, uh, backstage. So certainly, um, having a big role and playing an important part with, uh, the future of WWE, WWF at the time. So, so for, for Chrome there, for all that too, because, I mean, we see it now, but even, even you being younger than us, Cornette is, a joke character now in so many ways because it's let's get him riled up and upset on Twitter or on his podcast. Let's all laugh at his reaction and then let's complain when he goes too far with it. But then you see what he was at this time and he does have a great mind for wrestling and he's a fantastic manager. Cause I'm really considering you uh, treat saying he's mystery in your house. Get my guy over, talk for him, make everyone interested in this character, and help build him, which then builds me as well. But he's doing it without taking away from it, too. You're not watching the stuff he's doing and going, oh, Cornette's taken away from Bulldog. He's adding to it. He's adding to the whole experience. And it's almost like Cornette and, and at the time of us recording this, uh, Jerry Lawler just got in trouble, at the educator's favorite wrestler of all time. But it's like, hey, Grandpa's pretty great, and he's willing to help me with things, and, you know, he's he's the patriarch of our family, and he's helped me with this and helped me with that and done a lot for me and all. But, boy, geez, every Thanksgiving dinner he has to say something terrible. And you just got to roll your eyes and be like, all right, that's a product of your time. God, I got to ignore it and just think of all the good things you've done. And Cornette and Lawler are going that way. It's like, you know, do you hear what you say? Oh, well, it's fine when I was growing up. All right, well, it's not now. Can you stop? And it, and it unfortunately takes away from all the good, like this match. Um, now, that being said, allow me to be horrible for a moment. Because this, how many times did they drag Diana Hart Smith in front of the cameras for storyline and to be completely awful this is not the most attractive woman to keep going back to her well. It's not like, wow, what a star. She's stunning. Like, when Chris Candido brings his girlfriend Tammy to taping, you're like, oh, well, duh. Here's our star. It makes sense. There's been a couple other, you know, girlfriends or wives or whatever in wrestling that all of a sudden, it's like, well, they're on TV, and obviously, why? The heck is Diana always coming back on TV for do you think do you think Diana Smith added to the um the the storyline having her out there? I mean, I I, I, I think she had to, I think she added to the SummerSlam one. I like that. I think her being around at this point is maybe as we we're saying the SummerSlam match. He was 
done. He was flat out done. He tells Brett like an hour before the match, I'm high. I've been smoking crack for the last two days with Anvil. I don't know what to do. And Brett walked him through that match. And it's amazing how good that match is knowing that. Maybe this, oh, geez, he's getting big push. We're putting a lot behind him. Be great if someone stayed on the road with him that had to ride in the same cars and sleep in the hotel, same hotel rooms and make sure he's clean. But all that happens is she has this role. She she made sense going in SummerSlam one. That made a lot of sense. Wife and sister, you know, to the two combatants of the match. She's in this just because she's there. And then she goes on to be insulted by Shawn Michaels when he calls her ugly and says, I would never touch you. During that whole storyline. So, like, she's not getting anything out of it. I really think it was, if we're putting all this money and faith behind Davy Boy, someone's got to keep him clean. And the, the, they and they didn't want to just have her probably backstage. They wanted to actually use her if they're paying for, you know, trying to get at least some mileage out of it. But what did you, uh, Mr. Library, what did you think of the match? I have one big note, and it's four letters for this match. Holy ish, the blood. Yeah, I think I think that's you know what the other thing too. I think that makes it really stand out was there wasn't that many blood matches. Like there wasn't that much color in. I mean, we've gone through all these in your houses. In WWE, yeah, and we've gone through all of these in your houses. This is the first match with, uh, with with color, and, and it's a lot. Now you can see you can see the move where Brett saying it happened. It's obvious he blades himself. It's obvious he did it to himself because the the throw's not that hard overall. And then Brett apparently was known for wanting to put color, a little blood, into a match, not getting permission, and then claiming, oh, geez, I accidentally busted myself open the hard way. Like, I hit, and it, the stairs did it on accident, or the guardrail, or what, you know, I, I got kicked, and it did it. He's always got a reason, but it's Brett Hart, so it's kind of like, all right, you're going to say that, I'm going to let it go not going to argue with that but i think he overdid it because you don't even realize he's done it bulldog picks him up by stairs whips him into a guardrail all of a sudden you look you're like that's on the floor and then you see the puddle by brett's head and then it cuts to david boyne cornette where it's obvious bulldog's like he's bleeding cornette's like all right uh here's what we gotta do now then yeah they <laughs> cut back to thing. yeah they cut back to the corner after they threw uh after bulldog throws brett hart into the guardrail and they realize, oh, we don't want to have a close shot of this puddle of blood. But they cut back to Bulldog, and you can see the literal puddles of blood. And Bulldog and Cornette, they're just looking at each other like, oh, okay. Uh, here, we got to get this back in the ring quick. Do you got, do, and, now, do we think, it might be the same question, do we think it was on purpose because it was in Pennsylvania? That was going to be my, that was. And this being the rise That of was what I was going to bring up. Do you think. That because ECW is there, they were getting ECW chance, obviously. Um, but do you think that has a factor? And they're like, okay. And Brett saying, oh, I'll show you what a what a real match is where there's real good wrestling yes. and there's that hardcore element to it. I absolutely think in, in all the interviews and everything we've seen with Brett over the years, where the biggest Brett Hart fan in the world is Brett Hart. I abs- and I don't mean that negative like Crone does. But I absolutely think that Brett was like, oh, this is what you think wrestling is. I can do that, too, and I can do it even better than any of your guys can. That's how good I am. Yeah. So, so Crone Meltzer, a couple couple questions arose while I was listening to, to them, and I wanted to bring it up to you. Now, 
for for you in, in following wrestling and and obviously you're you're younger you are the pupil of the educator what kind of experiences have you had with managers and and then to follow that up when you see someone like Cornette work do you wish that um th- there was like a Cornette like not a not Cornette but like managers like that now because obviously the WWE got got rid of it and and they really never really followed it but you kind of see that kind of you know kind of trickling up and coming back I haven't been as exposed to the managers. You know, there have been a couple over the past 15, 20 years when I've watched wrestling, whether it was a James Mitchell in TNA, whether it was a Paul Ellering with AOP and NXT. But I think all I have to say right now is just two words, and that's Jake Roberts. You see what he's doing in AEW with someone like Lance Archer, and I know this is more of a retrospective podcast, so some people may may not be as familiar, but... Jake Roberts is really bringing a renaissance, I feel, to to what managers should be or could be. I mean, the same thing with Tully Blanchard when they added him with, with Sean Spears. You're starting, I feel, now to get that sizzle back, and I personally love it. it. All it does is add another layer to a character. Paul Heyman, perfect example. That guy's been on the stick for the past six, seven years with Lesnar, and he sells tickets like it's nobody's business, you know? Yeah, and do you... Do you think that because you you going back and kind of seeing the way where where would you say Cornette ranks then like just by his the work he's doing in the promos he's cutting for those people? I would say Cornette. I mean, this promo I heard actually that was one of my top notes. Excellent promo by Corny prior to the match. He definitely you know much like uh, Mass Librarian said. You know, for me, Cornette's kind of like a a punchline nowadays you know he was he was in the nwa for a cup of coffee but he's nothing more than like almost fodder or you know what headlines he gonna make today but you go back and you see him in his element really cutting a promo like the educator said going all the way back to 1981 in the start i mean some of the stuff that he's pulling out rarely will you see people pull that stuff out nowadays you know it's so like his delivery, the promo that he delivered, is so multi-layered that it really helps you get invested even more in the match. Yeah, yeah, and I and I think that's just a good parallel to kind of say when you when you're someone that hasn't seen these pay-per-views and stuff like that, and then you're watching it uh, to kind of go back and kind of see how wrestling was different. Um, obviously, the manager is one of the things that WWE got rid of, but old school WWF in the mid '90s, um, they're starting to they kind of phase it out after what sunny <laughs> like in all honesty after cuz they go more towards women and valets yeah but that also could be because they don't have a women's division i mean trish probably would have been the first one right for a woman to a valet basically someone like her that was just used as like eye candy not even i mean sunny wasn't really much of a talker if i'm correct but i feel like trish was literally just strictly eye candy well i mean they have they've had like sherry martell and stuff like that had been around and been a been a valet but she was more of a manager she wasn't really a valet i mean she could talk right right uh, educator and uh mr library uh do you guys can you guys think of any sort of the transition from woman to valet like where do you think the cutoff was? Was it something that maybe, you know, Attitude Era and, and Russo, I mean, was that something that they got rid of? Probably, I would say, towards the end of the Attitude Era, China with DX, 
being there, uh, obviously wasn't talking on the stick whatsoever, was just uh, about more of a bodyguard. Um, and then you got Sunny with her run with uh, LOD 2000. Uh, again, eye candy, not really much, you know, an active member of the division. Um, yeah, that's, I, I would say that's probably where I would say that where that transition started to go right around that time. End of, uh, so, end of 98, yeah. The male manager concept went away pretty much when Cornette left WWF. <clears throat> Sunny could talk when she was with a manager, or sorry, with someone, but for so often in her WWF career, she wasn't with anyone. She was just out there and being like, buy this at WWFshop.com. Here's the new magazine cover. Here's, I'm going to try to do an interview show. And then her, her self decline just kept getting worse and worse too. Um, Sable came out as a valet, but she wasn't talking, and, and then she got doing her own thing. Trish Stratus started as a manager valet, but then became Trish Stratus. If anything, it was a, all of the big promotions in the 90s were like this. You really didn't have good managers, except Joel Gertner and ECW. Probably the only male manager, really, that mattered in this time frame. And, and he started out as an announcer. And that's just the Heyman influence, right? I mean, his company, I no, mean, Heyman. Not because Heyman was barely on camera at the time. No, but what I'm saying, though, I mean, obviously it was Heyman's company, and he comes from that background, so he sees the importance of it. So he kept it. It's true. He's one of the few people still doing it now. Brock, Heyman was with Brock from the beginning. And then most time when he wasn't, it wasn't that Brock didn't want him or Heyman didn't want to be with Brock is more Heyman and Vince having some sort of argument, disagreement, whatever. I really, I really hope they keep going into that. Um, it's crazy. We're, we got the, we got probably the best match we've seen on the, on, on the, in your houses and we're talking about <laughs> managers, but I really hope that they keep going uh, this way. Obviously NXT has some managers, uh, you know, Rob Stone and, uh, Bivens and then uh, I'm very impressed with Selena Vega and how she's been coming out uh, with her trio of uh, Garza and uh, Andrade and Austin Theory apparently got called up to to Raw just because he can make it there so uh, I, I really hope she's doing a good thing yeah I really hope they uh, they they continue with that so uh, anything you guys want to add on the Bulldog Bret Hart match let me start with Mr. Meltzer uh, Crone Meltzer what do you want to say I will say, I do have one thing I want to say in particular about this match, and that is, this is coming from someone who wasn't around as much in this era or whatnot, but I hear a lot of blaming nowadays if someone were to like hit a DDT and it doesn't end a match or whatnot. What's up with the two pile driver spots? I'm surprised that that wouldn't be more protected, honestly. I even Lawler mentioned it at one point, how he was like, I taught him that. And like, I, I was just surprised not just see one, but two that were basically, you know, throwaways in the match, essentially. Throwaway. We hadn't had the injury yet to, to Steve Austin, uh, that happened a couple of years later with Owen Hart and SummerSlam. So, um, kind of seen as more of a, yeah, I mean, transitional move. If you think about guys, and again, this is from that old era where a DDT used to be a finisher, a pile driver used to be a finisher. Um, again, we're, we're getting late 95 into, and, you know, to, towards the attitude era where, you know, the, what used to be old school isn't necessarily cool to finish a match anymore. 
And unfortunately, you know, I, both these guys, they stuffed each other with those pile drivers that they gave. And you just, you, you, you just cringe looking at whenever those happen. And it just basically, it's a throwaway transitional move at this point. I, I will sum it up by saying that after watching this, this did not feel like a 21 minute match. It really didn't. It blew by so quickly. The pacing that these guys had, um, they went strong with each other. They went hard at each other. They, I don't know if that's because they're family, both their egos wanting to put out the best possible product or whatnot, but man, I'll tell you what, these guys definitely put on one hell of a match and I wouldn't say it made me a Bret Hart fan. I'm not, I'm not willing to go there yet. But I will say that I'll give Brett his due credit. And he was pulling out some stuff in this match that I did not expect him to pull out. It's, it's a good match. You see the heart training. There's a lot in there. Bulldog is just not at Brett's level. He just isn't. It's a great person to, you know, be in the ring with. But you can see why they never gave him that last little push for a world title. You know, he's a good one to compete for it, but to give him one, he's just, he is just not at Brett's level. And Brett's obviously getting him to a better match. You're right. The pile drivers, it should have been like a barely kick out before three, both exhausted, using it as like a breather for the next minute or two, like just really selling the devastation for, for both times it's used. Um, not using it as transitional, but I mean, a, a drop kick used to be a finisher too, if we want to go far enough back. You know, that just became commonplace. The, I'm trying, like, the match is still memorable because of the blood, but eliminating the blood, I think takes it down a notch. I think it would take it down a number. You know, I, I think the blood helps add to the, the atmosphere and the, the legacy and the history of the match and all, but eliminate it, it. It's still a good match. I'm not knocking it by any means. But if someone gave it four, I'd take it down to a three and a half or three if you get rid of the blood, honestly. Okay, so so let me ask you. I'll start with you then. Where does this match rank on our in-your-house matches? Is this match better than the Shawn Michaels-Jeff Jarrett match, which is number one currently? Hmm. I, I think personally the blood puts it over. Um, I, I mean, when you think about some of the various matches prior to this, where there was blood loss involved, um, you know, Bret Hart, Piper, uh, Macho Man, and Flair, both at the, both of those were at WrestleMania eight. You know, it was just a little bit on the forehead, and um, what well with Flair with the blonde hair, you know, you, you got a lot of color. I mean, this 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 blood, the blood loss from Hart, this would give the the Eddie Guerrero JBL a run for its money. I mean, the volume of blood. Uh, ringside on the on the uh, ringside on the floor on the mat and then in the ring the canvas and then you just look at both bulldogs and brett's tights from rolling around doing wrestling on that bloody canvas their gears were just apt i mean i wouldn't be surprised if the wwf just completely burned the canvas all the mats at ringside <laughs> Uh, and there was no like going back and cleaning that up and disinfecting. I, I definitely the the blood gave it a, a, an amazing element to the match. The the bulldog hitting the running power slam on Brett to the outside of the ring with the the blood loss itself. I mean, again, you you look at the 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 wrestling gear. 
um, uh, of both of the gentlemen after they're, they're doing mat wrestling after all the blood loss. Um, one of the things that I appreciated about the finish of the match is the unexpected finish, kind of like how the SummerSlam match had the unexpected finish um, with the sunset flip, and then you know Bulldog lays down and grabs both tights for or both legs for the cradle. One of the things that frustrated me with SummerSlam is that it seemed like it was a very quick three count, whereas in the in your house match you've got this the Maestro cradle that Brett puts on Bulldog, a very consistent three count, and again the attempt of the escape from the Bulldog where he almost kicks out but does get the full three count uh, Brett to win the match. Mister Library, what do you think? Do you think does it does it kick it over? Is because you just said it would go down to like a three stars without the blood. So, but you got to factor in there was blood. I mean, you can't not take the correct, and there was blood, and also the. The Shawn Michaels Jarrett match was for the Intercontinental title, whereas this is for the WWF title, which also adds to it. So I'm going to say at, at this point in your house five, it's the number one match and Jarrett Michaels is number two. Mr. Meltzer, would you agree? What did you, what did you think? I mean, do you think this is the best match that we've watched on the in year? You've been following along. Um, do you think this is the best match so far? I think with without a doubt, I'm not sure. I think you guys said these were either fifteen, twenty dollar pay per views. This match was worth the price right there in and of itself. You know, you got the WWF title on the line. You got Diana ringside. You got two really solid athletes. You got Bret Hart up in there in the main event. You got the Jim Cornette factor in there and everything. It's hyped up beforehand with this huge main event feel. Absolutely. I personally would give this match four, four and a half stars myself. Which is shocking because your father gave it four <laughs> and seven fifths. Oh, well, yeah, always so outdoing me. Four and a half. <laughs> so he also, and your father, Mr. Meltzer, also said this was the second best match in the WWF that year. So behind Shawn Michaels and Razor ladder match at SummerSlam. Turn but fair. So. Turn but fair. It's all right. So thank you, Mr. Meltzer, for coming on, discussing your homework, having a, an evaluation here. Uh, anything you want to plug? Anything you want to add? Oh, you know I'm not one for cheap pops or anything like that, so I appreciate it, but I am all good. No no cheap plugs here, nothing like that, you know. Um, if you can find me on Twitter, you're more than welcome to find me, but that's your homework to do for you, the listeners. <laughs> oh, 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 I li- oh, I like it. Educator, you want to give him another class, anything he should be looking into, um, or are you happy with his performance? Certainly happy with his performance, sir. You, you got the, the weekend off. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right. Well, thank you, Mr. Meltzer, uh, and we're going to f- finish up the, the last little bit of this uh, pay-per-view here, so thanks. for coming. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right, uh, there, Educator, sir, your star pupil has left, but... We weren't done with the pay-per-view. In Your House Extra uh, came out, setting up, uh, you know, Taker decides he wants the world title, of course. After he threw Mabel in there, he's doing the, you know, the the belt, the discount double check if you're a football fan. Uh, And, you know, Diesel runs in saying that he should be the number one contender. And he he wants his, his shot back at the uh, the title. What do you guys think of this uh, this kind of uh, last thing you see? Uh, and really planting the seeds for mania. 
Right. Planting the seeds for what eventually will be mania. Uh, again, the, the full, we're tiptoeing more towards the full heel turn. Uh, again, Diesel is still the, the best friend who's, uh, you know, avenging, uh, the injured, uh, buddy, um, and is, is slapping the hands, hands, uh, that are wearing the big black glove as he's entering and exiting the ring. And now, uh, we, we haven't really had an Undertaker Diesel confrontation or match up to my knowledge up at this point. So starting to plant the seeds for what will eventually be shenanigans in the January and February pay-per-views that will lead to a WrestleMania match at WrestleMania 12 between them both. Some of the best work that the Diesel character did in WWF was this Undertaker feud, which is set up here. Diesel comes in as Shawn Michaels' bodyguard. And then you, you know, slowly realize he was multiple characters in WCW that never caught on. So you're not taking him seriously. Now, nowhere he wins in your continental title. And you're like, all right, I guess. And on this house show in Madison Square Garden, he wins the WWF title in eight seconds, I believe. Yes. And you're like, all right, I'm not quite sure what's happening here, but okay. And it's kind of, it, it's a certain booking style of the easiest, quickest way to get fans to accept someone as a potential champion is to put the title on them. Then they have to accept him as a champ. But Diesel's been this, you know, a character you weren't sure about even, and then take seriously. And then he was the champion face for a year. And then this Undertaker storyline, he's the heel in it and he's a scary heel. I still remember him dragging a cameraman and an axe and just chopping up the casket for the Undertaker and looking menacing. I was like, ooh, this is good. This is interesting. He seems to be more natural as a heel, and now he's got the confidence to back it up, too. You know, he's, he knows he's not going to get fired. He's making money. Why not just go all out for it? And it, some of the best were coming up for him. And unfortunately, then that was kind of it for Diesel character, though. You know, you know, what's funny about the, the Diesel taker, the the whole kind of storyline is there is so many memorable moments from that. Like like you said, the for an overall short feud too. For yeah. For only what? Two, three months. I mean, three months get, if that. I mean, you get that. Um, the the chopping of the, the casket. You get Diesel being in the casket wheeled out. Uh, oh, you yep. you get the in your house ending. Uh, spoiler alert for the next podcast. Um, so many good moments like that you just that are just in, just kind of uh, seared into your mind. But I mean that's that's as much as WWF had problems at the time and didn't have a good roster and didn't have this and didn't have that. That's classic old school booking of let's keep these two people away from each other, build them both up separately. So when their paths cross, people are going to go nuts. And that's what they did. Diesel and Undertaker did not cross over. But by the time they did, they're both A-level stars. That It's exciting. Any final thoughts on that? That's that's it. I mean, that was the first in your house extra we've seen, I believe. Yes. First yeah. one that we've seen. Um, all right. So it's that time where we got to rank this in your house. Um, you know, we got to do our scientific method of figuring out where this goes uh, based on. OK, is this in your house five seasons beatings better than in your house two? Absolutely. Would you agree, Kevin? Yes. OK. Is seasons beatings better than uh, four? Great White North. Fours in well, third spot right now. Yeah. Fours in the third spot. We're just we start at the bottom. We work our way up. OK. 
Yes. I would agree as well. I agree as well. All right. Does uh, this is uh, season's beatings better than the hometown show? The first in your house. I still have a lot of nostalgia being at that show live and it still kind of tugs at the heartstrings. Um, I, 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 I think action wise that yes, this was a better show than the, the original Syracuse in your house, uh, that had the Bret Hart double match and the, uh, uh, the diesel versus Sid, uh, main event. So, uh, for me, I would put it in the number two spot. So you're saying it's better than one, but not better than triple header. Not better than triple header. Correct. Right. Triple header. The best match on that was Jean-Pierre Lafitte versus Bret Hart. Correct. Uh, So Mr. Uh, Mast Library, what do you think? Do you think it's better than one, but not as good as triple header three? Um, God. I mean, this is just science guys. So uh, this. It's, it's better than one. There's a, there's a lot for one, but um, Brett Bulldog's a great match. Uh, Hunter and Hunter Godwin Hogpen match is better than it should have been. Honestly, like for a joke match, it, it was a good match. You know, it was a lot better than it should have been for it. Uh, in your house, one there's just you know we got there there's there's filler stuff on there too and all. I can't. I can't say anything good about Sid anymore. I think I'm done there. We don't play softball together anymore now. Um, I'm, I'm I'm putting it second. Second to triple header. All right. Look at this. I don't even have to vote because you guys agree and it's the majority <laughs> rules. You guys are making it easy for me. So all day, uh, babe. You know what's it, what's funny is three doesn't have. I mean the 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 Bret Hart match is good, but it's not great. We haven't picked. I mean, it's just a solid event. It's not anything major. And then of course the gimmick of the, the triple header. Yeah. All right. To kind of preview what we're going over next, we're going to be over in your house six on the next podcast rage in the cage. A lot of good stuff on there. We got a crybaby match. Uh, we got a shot for, uh, for someone's uh, WrestleMania spot. Uh, and then, of course, the main event is Diesel versus Brett inside a steel cage. And uh, we kind of already alluded to what happens. Uh, just a memorable moment and one that I was like, holy cow, I've never seen that before. So uh, very exciting stuff coming up. Um, so, uh, Mr. Um, educator, what do you uh, anything you want to say? Are you on social media? What are you plugging nowadays? What do you what do you what are you doing? What do you want to say to the people out there? Biding my time through uh, the current uh, health crisis, uh, trying to figure things out in my day-to-day job. What is the future uh, for the educator in terms of my students in the classroom and uh, getting through the remainder of the school year? So not a lot of time on social media. Uh, again, want to thank the Retro Network for the opportunity to host this podcast. Great opportunity to hang out with a couple of my friends and, re- and reminisce. Uh, some of the great, uh, great storylines that we got to, uh, be entertained by back in the day when wrestling was such a, a, a an important part of our lives. Uh, yeah. And, uh, I'll just say, I want to, once again, thank the retro network for hosting, uh, of course, um, subscribe to their, um, their super feed where you get great content every day of the week. Uh, really good stuff. Of course you could find me on Twitter 
at Maddie Treats. Uh, that's M A double T Y T R E A T S. I tried to do a Jared thing and it didn't work. Uh, but yeah, that's it. Um, you know, if you have any questions or if you want to get a hold of us, you can. That's the best way to contact us is just kind of go through and uh, offer us uh, any sorts of questions. But I am going to turn it over to the TikTok King to take us home, <laughs> uh, Mister Mast Library. You can find me all across the internet, anywhere Mast Library is sold. Special thanks to our logo creator Richard Reader. Special thanks to our guest this episode, Mister Chrome Meltzer. Thank you to all of our listeners. We've been getting great feedback online, and I appreciate it and love it. And uh, it's wonderful to know that people are adding this to their day. And uh, uh, we're very thankful. I've already had people uh, excited on Thursday morning when the new episode goes up. And to all of you that might not like it and uh, may have given a two- or three-star review, I would like you to listen to the episode again in 20, 25 years and see if we get an extra star for nostalgia. You know what? You know what's funny is Santa Claus delivers once a year, but the Santa Claus crew, we deliver every Thursday. We'll talk to you guys next time.